0: Welcome to the first episode of the training design podcast this is a podcast for training designers as the name suggests to give you insights ideas things to think about around learning design so each week we're going to be looking at one particular topic and how you can think about that maybe in slightly different ways or get some practical tips about how to do it a little bit better or a little bit differently Your hosts for this podcast are me, Terry Pierce. I run 360 Learning Design, a learning design consultancy, and
1: me, Sheridan Webb, um, who runs the Training Designers Club, which is an, an online community for learning designers of every kind.
0: This week's topic is curation. So we'll be talking about what do we mean by curation? What is curation? Why is it important? We're going to be talking about how you can make curation work for you, whether you're internal to an organization curating for all of your people or whether you're external as a consultant curating perhaps for a workshop or around a workshop we're going to be talking about how you can find things find resources and how you can make them findable to you when you need them and we're going to be giving lots of practical examples of how we've used curation and tips of how we think that you could use curation in
1: practice And I'm really keen to get your take on this, Terry, because I know it's something that you use quite a lot in your learning design. So what do you mean by curation and why do you think it's important for us learning designers? I think
0: curation can be seen really, really broadly. It's any time, really, that we are taking something from the Internet, from a book, from a video, uh, anything at all where we've got something that we are referring learners onto that we're we're saying okay uh, a little bit like a curator in a museum we're selecting pieces that we want to show to our audience Um, and I think that's really important because uh, we're not going to be creating original material the whole time we're going to be using other people's material and we're going to be directing people to stuff that's not our stuff
1: yeah I mean traditionally um, as learning designers we've been the content creators haven't we Um, and of course you know, in, in this digital age, I mean, the, the young people joining the workforce now are digital natives um, and the need to do what you and I did at the start of our careers perhaps isn't isn't the same. You know, the whole approach to learning design is is much more, as you say, it's about going out there and finding what already exists
0: yeah absolutely i think sometimes we think we need to be the expert and we do definitely need to have expertise but we don't need to be the one and only font of all knowledge uh, i think we can also be the person who gathers and positions all the useful knowledge or, or a lot of the useful knowledge uh, and shows how show how it adds value to the people who, uh, who we're trying to get it, get the points across to um so it's just it's kind of a question of trying to match up our creation and and, and our, our kind of authority with uh, the ability to refer people on to stuff that adds value to them um, and helps to meet the learning objectives
1: so it's more about um, signposting things rather than um, providing things directly
0: yeah that's how i'd see curation certainly uh, again i really like this uh, museum curator kind of uh, analogy uh, the museum curator, you know not, is not expected to uh, you know magic up uh, <laughs> artifacts and relics—they're supposed to kind of look in the the archives, or perhaps get ones on loan, get some, get ones on loan from other museums, um, but to put them in exactly the right setting and to tell a story with them, and some of this kind of stuff.
1: Actually, that's a re- that's a really good point that you've made there about you know we don't ex- expect other people to magic things up yet as learning designers. I feel that's what we are expected to do a lot of the time, and it it almost feels like you're cheating if you're not creating everything brand new all the time, or maybe that's just me. I I don't know.
0: (laughs) I don't don't know if it's just you, but I think it is uh, something we often put on ourselves. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, if we we are being fair to ourselves, we need to say, look, there's a lot of people out there who know a lot of stuff. Let's use it.
1: Yeah. And uh, and I don't know, again, it's perhaps the changing face of of what our role is all about because um, when I first came across this term curation, um, probably I don't know eight years ago something like that I immediately panicked and thought that I was going to lose my job you know that would be the end of what I do um, but of course it, it isn't it isn't that at all it's um, it's there it was just a way of, of the job evolving I guess
0: yeah I think evolution is a good way to think of it uh, I think it's something that we need to uh, build into what we're doing not that's going to take over from what we're doing
1: yeah, I mean, if, I mean, like you say, in many ways, um, we've always been curators. It's just that, um, you know, when I started my career, we used to read books, we used to read journals. We used to distill the great information in those books and journals um, to put them into training courses and share them with other people. We didn't tell people to go and re- go and read a book. Um, so I, I guess, you know, curation um, as a skill has a, has always been part of our kit bag, if you like. Um, but perhaps it's um, it's a term that's only come to prominence recently, I think.
0: Yeah, it's becoming more front and centre now, more than that is expected of us. Uh, I think particularly internally, actually, you know, a lot of organisations with uh, their internal learning programmes are thinking about providing resources for people in the organisation to be able to access uh, and curating content uh, rather than just getting it from a few select sources. But, um, you know, if we're working for organisations, I think we need to take account of that as well.
1: Yeah, 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 you're quite right, isn't it? And it's a phrase you hear quite a lot, isn't it? Sort of resources rather than courses. Mm. And of course, it it helps with this whole move towards agile learning as well. That's, um, you know, obviously curated learning is generally quicker to provide than something that's been designed from scratch.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you're fitting in with uh, all these trends, these kind of, uh, you know, what people are expecting, what people are getting used to, local learning, micro learning. If you're thinking about even even more traditional concepts, but ones that are becoming more kind of widely used now, like the idea of 70-20-10 of and, you know, the, the big bulk of people's learning happening kind of on the job, then then providing people with access to uh, chances to, to, to get some learning and then apply it straight away. So sort of that kind of idea um, and moving away from this idea that all the learning happens in the classroom uh, because people are, are kind of wanting it less, I think.
1: So what, what type of things would we typically curate? I mean, it's not, it, it is now more sophisticated and much more varied than just things to read, isn't it? What, what type of things should we be looking out for?
0: It could really be absolutely anything that's going to support a learning point or help somebody. Uh, a video, a blog, uh, short and long articles, PDFs, books, games, apps, uh, influencers to follow, uh, lists, news sites. I think the list just goes on and on it's really anything at all and I think one of the good things that uh, as curators we can try and do is to to cast on it as wide as we can and not get hung up on just sharing one type of article
1: yeah that that's um, that's really good isn't it because it, it does allow us to provide more variety and therefore more personalized learning experience I guess mm. um than just saying well here's everything you need to know and it's served in this way um so crack on with it mm-hmm.
0: yeah absolutely and i think um, something gone
1: gone no gone
0: <laughs> i was just gonna say i, I think what it, what it does as well um is it, it fits a little bit with the way that people are trying to get their own information so if somebody wants them to learn something now they don't necessarily look up a course and think okay well how can i sign on to that and go and, and do it what they often do is they'll google it and they'll find a youtube clip or they'll find something so you know the first couple of hits that come up on their google search page they'll say okay that's what I'm going to use as my way to learn more about whatever it is I want to learn more about. So, you know, um, we're, we're just kind of trying to add a little bit of value to that process, because actually that process isn't always great. Google has artic- uh, indexed 30 trillion articles at this point. Wow. Um, so there's a big lot of stuff in there and not all of it's great. Um, so we're trying to help people to sort out the gold from all of the gray, murky rocks
1: yeah yeah i mean i've got a 13 year old son terry as you know and, and he googles absolutely everything and he comes out with some fascinating facts um some of which which are genuinely fascinating and true and, and you know do expand your knowledge and some of it's utter tripe so yeah <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where he gets it from <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, there are people with all kinds of different agendas on the internet uh, trying to push what they think or, or you know, uh, poorly researched stuff out there. I think there's also some things about the way that search works that uh, can guide us away from useful information for learning. So if you think about how Google prioritizes things that it might show you for any given search, it prioritizes Uh, not in terms of quality or truth, but actually more in terms of popularity and kind of newness, uh, well, sorry, not newness, but, but, you know, trends a little bit. It could be something that is linked to a lot. A lot of people read it but actually maybe it, it, it's not very good, or maybe it was once, yeah. but it's out of date, but it's still got a lot of that momentum. And that might be the thing that people are learning from. So as curators, we're trying to be a little bit more clever about it than, than the algorithm, I guess, and, and show people the stuff that really helps them with the, the learning principle.
1: Terry, when I've um, sort of flirted with curation in the past, and, and I have obviously been using it um, more and more in recent years, um, I find it's incredibly time-consuming. In some ways, it's even more time-consuming than writing stuff from scratch. Um, is, is that your experience or am I doing it all wrong?
0: I think it can definitely be time-consuming. Uh, I think if it is time-consuming, then what's probably happening is it's a little bit like if our, if our museum curator is going out and looking for the exhibits each time. So he's thinking, OK, I've got an Egyptian uh, exhibition. I need to go out and find uh, you know, a, a, a mummy for this exhibition. But actually, that's not what he's doing. What he's doing is he's got an entire bank full of stuff. He's got computer files full of stuff. And in fact, again, it's just this process of uh, working through the stuff that's already there. So I think the ideal is that we get ourselves to that situation rather than thinking, right, I need something to illustrate this point or a few articles or resources for this course. We start to proactively get ourselves a, a, a kind of bank and index of stuff a little bit like the museum vaults and storerooms and uh, computer files and so on so that when we need something it's there already
1: yeah yeah and I must, that's probably where i fall down because i'm very much a um i'm a great procrastinator until i've got something specific that i have to do so it's um, yeah so if someone says well can you sign me a course on this and i'll go yeah that's great and then i you know lose days of my life looking for Decent information to to signpost.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, you know, you can go down all these little rabbit holes if you're doing internet searching yourself. Whereas if you're just looking through your own index of useful stuff, which you've been, it's pre vetted. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's an interesting quote actually that I found when I was kind of uh, just prepping for for us doing this this episode from a guy whose name that I, I really like, uh, Clay Shirky. Very cool name. Oh, that's fantastic. And he says. There's no such thing as information overload. There's only filter failure, uh, which I think is really good. Uh, you know, we—it's uh, we, hard to filter. You know, these—what uh, did we say? Thirty trillion uh, mm. Google index articles. It's very hard to filter that. But if uh, certainly hard, hard in the course of a day or in a moment. Yeah. But actually, if we've already been doing that filtering over time, as articles come in, or as resources come in, or as we encounter them, or as a proactive process, then uh, we're doing. Doing that workload in advance.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's it's just a uh, spot off a couple of thoughts because one is like you say the, the timescales and you and I are both um, independent consultants um, and when you curate on behalf of a client, um, obviously you don't you don't charge for all the time that you do because how can you possibly justify it? You know, you spent all day looking for stuff and, and you've done a page. Mm. Um, so it, it's quite a challenge because it is very time consuming. But I think the the other point uh, of that that from what you were saying, is for the, the intended end user um, who, when they start looking, don't really know what they're looking for, perhaps, so can go down rabbit holes themselves or go down a route that isn't entirely appropriate. If they're just starting, you know, literally with that blank sheet of paper or that blank Google search, um, I guess it can actually do more harm than good.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're, we're their filters in a way we're, we're we're putting ourselves forward as filters and saying uh, we're we're really good filters and we've got some really good stuff for you. We've already done the work of sifting it out from the rubbish.
1: Yeah. And I guess for those um, learning designers who are listening to this, who have a particular niche. um, So if your niche is resilience training or um, sales training or something like that, you're going to be tuned into looking for that sort of stuff anyway. So I would hope it would be a lot easier to start, collecting all that relevant information because you you know the chances are you're going to use it someday whereas i'm more of a generalist so um i can could be asked to design training on, on almost anything not anything but quite a, a wide variety of topics
0: yeah definitely and i'm i'm, I'm the same i mean I, I i focus and specialize really on on design uh, rather than any particular topic and i think yeah. you've probably got an advantage if you are really tightly focused around one subject area Uh, but you need to press that advantage by not just relying on your memory of where there's good resource but actually collecting it
1: yeah definitely and it's it's one of those things is it can really enhance your offering then because Mm. um even if you do deliver most of your training you know in the traditional way it's always great just to have that change of voice or that change of pace isn't it and and use something else or or have the pre-course and the follow-up which i know is something that you know I traditionally use curation that way, um, before and after, but you you can use it instead of an event, can't you, sometimes?
0: Absolutely. Uh, I I mean, uh, yeah, I'll say something in a second about uh, using it instead of an event, but just that the thing of different voices I think is fantastic. You know, when I've studied university-level courses uh, and kind of masters and, and so on, some of the best stuff that I've done there is when it's not just the one voice of the person who wrote the textbook or the lecturer, it's when they're using readers and using lots of sources And you're getting that kind of really rounded knowledge from getting different people's views, opinions, voices. Um, So for me, that works really, really well. But I think you're right as well, definitely. Um, It's not just about pre-course and post-course work. You know, if we're thinking about being learning designers in in the widest possible context, then, you know, we're not just assuming that the, the, the starting point is a workshop of some kind. We're saying, look, what's the best way to do this? And some of it may be sending people off to various places where they can find stuff. Instead of during, before, after, yeah,
1: yeah, and there's definitely a, a feeling of that coming through in the L&D not and I mean, there are a, there's a body of people out there who, who feel that we should never run a training course again, and and I don't subscribe to that. I think training courses definitely have their place, but I do believe that it isn't always the answer. It isn't always the best answer. There are other ways that we can do these things. It's about signposting and building the context. I think. Yeah, and I think
0: you know we need to be open-minded so that's open-minded both ways open-minded to say a workshop may still be the answer no matter how many years they've been going for uh, Mm. and open-minded to say it's not always the answer
1: yeah the other thing that uh, I feel strongly about as well it's it's fantastic to find all this and curate all this great content but people do need to have that put into a context they need to understand what to do with it Um, you, you can't just chuck a load of links at somebody and say there you go
0: yeah, well, that would be a museum curator just chucking a load <laughs> of artefacts into the middle of a room and saying, there you go.
1: Yeah, they're interesting, aren't they? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, No, you absolutely need your little, your little pieces of information at the side of each exhibit or your pieces of uh, guiding, signposting, interpreting, all that kind of
1: stuff. Yeah, yeah, I feel that's actually a really important point, Terry, I think, isn't it? It's, we're the first filter, if you like, um, but then the, the end user... Has to then look at what we're presenting and decide which bits they want to engage with.
0: Mm. Yeah, they're going to be doing their own filtering as well. So you need mm. to help them with that by how you position each piece, how you help them see its relevance, uh, or, or help them decide its relevance. You know, you don't know it is going to be relevant to them, but you you're you're making it clear exactly what they're going to get out of it, so that they can decide how much attention to devote to it or whether to devote any attention to it.
1: Yeah. I I was going to ask you about, um, you know, when you've used curation successfully in the past. I mean, I've got a couple of examples, but I think you're probably slightly further ahead of the curve than I am on this one. But just before we get to that, is it appropriate now to ask you, because you're so organized, Mm -hmm. how do we go about it? Because I'm totally bought into the concept and I do curate. I do. But me being me, I curate when I need to and I find the right thing and I put it into the right document and and you know everyone's happy and it does what needs to do but I suspect you're a lot more organized than that Terry.
0: I do try to be organized <laughs> uh, I don't always maintain it 100% of the time constantly but uh, I get it has enough momentum to keep going and yeah I, I think organization and the indexing is, is the key. Uh, think, indexing? indexing. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely I mean well you know indexing just means a, a bare minimum the difference between just bookmarking everything and having a bookmarks folder that's pages and pages long on the one hand, Guilty. That's, that's not indexing. <laughs> and then on the other end, good indexing could just be you know, putting those bookmarks in folders. It that, that could be as simple as that. Um, but I think you can go a little bit further. I think uh, there are lots of apps or you know, helps out there uh, to help you index things in a way that works for you. You know, if you use an app like Pocket to save articles, then that can be something that you know, within Pocket it has various ways for you to tag uh, and index and title the articles that you've saved. Um, if you, uh, you want to use some kind of index where you keep all of the links, you know, again, you could get very organized with your bookmarks folder or whatever's in your browser. You could use something like Evernote I use an app called Workflowy, uh, which not many people know about. It's a little bit more no. kind of uh, closely guided secrets that I'm showing you with you here. But um, <laughs> it, I find that really, really useful in terms of being able to keep things in lots of different groupings and then dig down into whichever groupings relevant to what I'm finding uh, or what I'm looking for. That sounds um, good. So, yeah, I'll put that reference in the show notes. I give people, I recommend people check that out. You know, there are lots of different ways, but I, th- I think the main thing is to... To, to, to have a system or to try and develop a system if, if you're just expecting yourself to be able to remember oh yeah this was the article about that or that's where mm. i find the article about, about that it's not going to happen if you've got a good volume of stuff
1: yeah it must have been, It's something that i am getting better at and um, i think putting folders in my in my bookmarks is probably something i could i, I should and could do quite easily um, it's not beyond beyond me technically um but i use something called flipboard so when i find a really good article that's related to, to, to learning design i do pop it in flipboard and i've created an online magazine they call it and that's actually something that's available in the training designers club so again i'm trying to provide help there so here are some relevant articles and it's just that first sift i suppose so i, I suppose i do i do do it a little bit yeah. proactively no, that's good that's good uh,
0: and i think yeah as, as as for me the other part of that actually as well is so that the indexing is one part of it but that the, the having the articles come to you ideally is the other part of it so you know you can just have a little browse every now and again or just see what Mm. pops up Uh, but I think again if you've got something in place to go a little bit further than that I think that's that's great I use I mean I've always uh, used RSS feeds which is where articles kind of publish their uh, sorry blogs and and journals and so on publish their articles uh, in such a way that 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 you will get them if you've subscribed to their RSS feed um and i use one called feedly which is very good mm-hmm. but there are plenty of ones out there um so you can just say look i want to see in one place all the articles from all of these different sources uh, and then you know you just have to go to that one place to get all of the latest stuff from the sources that you've chosen
1: ah so so you you basically tell it um which websites you would like to browse and it kind of browses them for you exactly yeah
0: gives me all ah. the articles that they publish uh, or i can specify how many of the articles or which articles or how frequently um, so yeah, it's all coming to me rather than me having to go out there and, and do it, which means that not only is it less effort for me, but it also means I can do it on the go on my phone.
1: Mm. No, that's, I've not actually done that myself. So I'm writing that down. Mm. as something that I should perhaps uh, think, think about doing because I'm very much, a, and I do obviously search for things and I do save things, but it's it's very ad hoc. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, that's
0: fine. I think you don't have to kind of, imagine that you have to create some great big system overnight i didn't create any of my systems overnight they've they've mm. evolved over time uh so i think it's just trying to get a little bit better you know if you find a way to either make something come to you or to index things that do come to you just getting better with it uh you in, know in, in increments over time
1: yeah and i guess like any search the more specific you can be as to what you're actually looking for the the better quality is going to come back to you
0: yeah definitely definitely and, and again, that's something that you can develop over time. You can find what words and search terms and journals and articles kind of work best. So, mm. I think there are tools I guess, out there. Sorry, I was just going to say there are no, tools out there that do it in a more structured way. They're, they're often kind of a bit more involved or paid, but there are apps or, or programs like Scoot and Curata and Mix and Dig. I'll put references to all those in the show notes and um, kind of services by organisations like Anders Pink where you know you pay a certain subscription, but then you've got really, really uh, advanced tools to sift through all of the resources out there and bring certain bits into one place.
1: Yeah, and I think Anders Pink have got a really, really good guide, haven't they, to curation? It was, yeah. it was then, wasn't it? You signposted it for, for me uh, quite recently.
0: Yeah, no, they've got an amazing uh, little PDF, uh, it's not list, like so it's 70 pages <laughs> no, it's month, not little. <laughs> um guide to curation. And, and you know, they, they give it away for free because, you know, it publicizes them and, and helps people to see them as uh, authorities on curation, which they are. I mean, their key thing, actually, I think, is that they want to go one step further and have people have their their front end inside of organizations so actually the, the people within the organization not just the D people but the, the people mm. at their desks they're going to log on to the anders pink portal branded for the organization and and see this stuff that D have said our people might find this useful um but yeah their guide their 70 page guide to curation everything about curation uh, is something i would highly recommend and
1: again I'll yeah show. yeah this it, it is definitely uh, worth downloading that i think and if, if it's something that's new to you or if you're in now if you're an internal l&d person just trying to explain what it is and why you should be doing it it can be quite a challenge can't it because people just think you oh we will paying you to browse the internet now and mm. it's like no <laughs> so mm. we can all browse the internet and mm. there is a lot more to it than that so maybe to help you educate people as to what it's all about and it also i guess if we can educate people it's about helping people learn to learn isn't it because within your own specific function so if, if you're in a, a technical team Um, There's surely got to be somewhere that you can store all articles and things that are relevant to your technical specialism that that will help people in that as well. It's not all about the the personal effectiveness or leadership or that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. In fact, um, I I, I never actually worked with them, but I I went to see um, a large business, warehousing and this, that and the other. And uh, they had an amazing intranet because what they encouraged their own workers to do was to um, upload their own videos so it was really really and it got loads of hits so when when a a new part came in they would get just fred from the warehouse would say oh we've had this part come in today and it works with this part and this part and this is what you do with it and if somebody orders one of those they probably need one of those as well and and they had massive hits with it and you know because everybody wants to go on youtube these days don't they yeah. um but it was it was a way of learning that they didn't realize that they're actually creating their own content as well as obviously curating it and and sharing it so i guess that's kind of the next level of curation isn't it is that we don't just collect it that's already been done we start generating our own stuff by the end users
0: yeah and I think one of the best things that anybody can do with this stuff is get the learners involved so rather than having all essentially I've curated all of this for you this is what you need is at the very least to have some kind of feedback loop in there so that you're understanding how that stuff is landing and then adjusting it over time particularly if this is all being done internally within an organization but even if you know you're, you're running the same course for different organizations and also getting people yeah as you say to, to contribute to comment on each other's contributions or to comment on the contributions and then comment on the comment to mm. upvote the ones that they might find most useful so that they get more prominence and f- feature more highly on people's screens or, you know, however they're accessing the stuff. Get people involved and then they'll feel involved rather than just feel that you've just thrown stuff at them.
1: Plus, it makes your life a heck of a lot easier, doesn't it? If you've got mm. other people suggesting content. Which you can then just approve, um, if necessary. Which I think sometimes we do have to do that. Do we? we have to be sure as to what's going out there. Make sure it's wholly appropriate. But um, mm. yeah, if people's being, if if things are being suggested to you, um, that, that that's uh, like I say, from from the ultimate end user, it's got to be better. Mm. Yeah. So so when when have you used? I mean, as I said before I've used curation typically as pre and post wrap it around a workshop so is that how you tend to use it as well terry or have you used curation in a different way
0: I've used it in lots of different ways. Uh, I mean, if I think about the, the kind of the best experience that I have of uh, having used creation, it was when I was doing some work with uh, an organization called the Honeycomb Works, who uh, I like to name drop because uh, they're great. They really kind of up to date uh, with kind of how we learn and uh, with trying new things. And one piece of learning design that I was doing with them uh, was a a program where they'd, they'd done a lot of work with the organization, with the end, the end client and said, okay, we want a lot of this work to be happening outside of the classroom. We want the classroom to be reserved for doing and trying and experiencing. And we want yes. the, so the, so the the kind of how really, and the yes. what and the, the <laughs> and the why to happen really beforehand to, for people to understand the concepts at least at a basic level uh, and why they're important before they get in the rooms. Because if you really think about it, you know, a lot of the time when we are, designing and we were looking at the what we're trying to think of ways to jazz it up we're trying to think of ways to make it more involved and more interesting and actually what it would be much more interesting is if we could just not have to worry about imparting information and spend much mm. more time on getting people to try and use it and think about how it works for them um, so this this project really let me do that uh, and kind of that was how what they would negotiated with the organization they also have a, a kind of bank that they uh, they, they they kind of all, all that indexing and and so on that I've just been talking about. They've done mm-hmm. that internally, so they've got a kind of list of approved resources uh, on the topics that they they work with, and uh, which they encourage also designers like me to add to. So you know, there's a, there's a really good setup there, which I was able to just go in and say, okay, if, well, if these are the learning objectives, these are the behaviours, we'll set it up so that these are the things that we expect people to do before they come in the room. And then that leaves me free to get really creative with mm. what they're doing when they're in the room about getting better at applying that stuff. Um, yeah. And then a little bit of post-course kind of follow-up again, you know, linking people to those resources or adding them to those resources to to help people think about even further applications.
1: Mm. I think it was, that's just reminded me of a project I did um, it wasn't quite to quite that extent, i have to say with Kellogg's, because as you can imagine, they had a load of resources um available, um, which made my life so much easier because I was just able to, like you say, browse through what they've got, pick out what was relevant, um, and then signpost it. What was quite surprising is the number of internal people going through the learning it was like, oh, that's that's useful. And it's like, but it was there all the time. Mm. Um, but they needed to be formally shown it before they would access it so it it comes back to that signposting that we said before wasn't it people really do need to it it, it needs to be sort of lit up in neon so this is going to be really useful to you (laughs) please go and look at it
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely I, I, I think you're right often that is what's needed but I think what's what's needed in a more general sense is to work out within the organization how you can fit it to their culture because in some organizations they are going to be really switched on and ready to do that but in a lot they're not it's, yes and, and everywhere in between so so it's working out where do they want to learn uh, where are they going to look for it how much effort are they going to put into it how proactive are they going to be or not um, mm-hmm. and kind of fit in with that i mean to, to go back to the one i was just talking about uh you know that was a great situation for me because all the worries that I usually have about oh if I'm setting a lot of pre-course work or a lot of requirements for people to be up to speed before they get into the room what happens if we get some people having done it and some people yes. not having done yes and that
1: it? always happens doesn't it there's always somebody who sheepishly looks at you and says oh I didn't get time to do it
0: <laughs> well I, I think a lot of people's experience is that it Almost always does happen, or always does happen. But I think maybe that's partly because we kind of accept it. I think, uh, but you know, this example actually, it was made very clear that it was a prerequisite. It was effectively that if you didn't do the pre-course, then there wasn't really much point in you turning up to the session, and that was Mm -hmm. okay. Now, obviously, that takes a lot of kind of capital, uh, you know, kind of takes a lot of effort from L&D to be able to do that, and it's not going to work for all organisations and all topics the topic's mandatory for instance but mm. you know it, it for that for their culture it works so it's about trying to find out what will happen for their culture
1: yeah and do you know what it's just a, sometimes just a simple rephrasing because in my most recent program um what I have done is I've actually instead of saying this is pre-course work because there's about three hours worth of stuff I want people to do um I've said this program is in three parts and part one is self-study Mm. um and then part two is the workshop and then part three is practical actions so Mm. it's a three-part program rather than it's a course oh and there's a little bit of pre-course work because sometimes the language that we use sort of sets expectation doesn't it
0: yeah i think that's absolutely spot on i think that's a really good way
1: to frame it yeah yeah and again it's just those and and i'm hoping uh, if we don't know yet but i'm hoping that that will result in fewer people turning up sheepishly on the day saying oh i forgot
0: (laughs) yeah no, I think I think it, I think it certainly should. Uh, I guess the other thing that, that I, I, I do is I try and think in advance about having a session if I, if I have to. I mean, I'd rather be in that situation where I can guarantee that they will have done whatever we want them to do before coming yeah. to the workshop, but then I try and think about designing a workshop in a way that gives people a couple of different paths through it. They get mm. a path where they will get a certain amount if they haven't done or understood what we wanted them to beforehand but then a path that they will be able to to follow through it, which will give them even more if they have. Um, So it's a hard path to negotiate that one, but it can work really well.
1: It is, but like you say, it's not suggesting that the curated piece should always be the knowledge-based piece because it it can be other things as well. But um, another programme that I run, there's quite a significant amount of pre-work which people are expected to do. And it is all around the the detail. Um, It's quite a... You know, It's to do with HR policies and procedures and this sort of thing. Mm.
0: Um,
1: So we like people to have done that before they come on the workshop because then we're not getting bogged down in in those sorts of questions. Um, And we want the workshop to be very much about having conversations and case studies and this, that and the other. So what what the facilitators are able to do, I don't run that one myself, is they can then signpost people to that pre-work as post-work because actually you can get that detail At any point, really. You need the detail, Mm -hmm. but we're looking at, as you said before, we're looking at the skills on the workshop, Mm. not the nitty gritty of the processes and all the rest of it. So they actually get two bites of the cherry on that, but they do need both parts. Luckily, it doesn't really matter what order they go in. Mm.
0: So I think what we're saying really is that it kind of fits in with what we were saying earlier a little bit about the curation is giving you what you need, and we got to keep ourselves really open minded about. Where and how and when we give them that. So you know we're not just uh, doing it the way we've always done it. We're saying, what do we need to get across? What's the best way of doing that? And also when and where.
1: Yeah, it, I think you're right. It's it's um it's a really useful tool. It isn't the answer to everything. Just like a, a workshop isn't the answer to everything, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I I know a guy who who's really in it really loves curation, and he was the first person that I sort of came across the idea with, if you like. Um, He works in an internal role and he told a tale of how um, some manager emailed him and said that we really need some training on effective meetings or something like that. Um, So Mike sent back an email to go, "Okay, uh, what sort of thing you're looking for? Got the answer. And he just sent him, you know, he curated information for him, sent him back this email and said, take a look at this lot. If you still think you need a course, get back in touch with me and mm. you know we'll, 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 we'll sort something um, and apparently the manager got back in touch and went this is this is brilliant this is just what we need thank you very much so saved him a whole load of time able to respond quickly and saved him money so in that instance all the manager needed was some guidance I suppose he didn't need training so what we need to make sure is we're not using a sledgehammer to crack a nut I suppose
0: yeah that sounds good good analogy
1: yeah so cool so yeah, curation. I think it's, it's, you know, far from it doing us out of a job. I think it's just adding another dimension to our job, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
0: I think we've cracked it there.
1: Yeah. So what would be your top tips, Terry, just to uh, just to summarise?
0: So for me, it's definitely I'm going to bang this drum again, being proactive about collecting your resources, about making them come to you and about indexing them so you can find them when you need them, when you are them. It's casting a net as wide as possible with those in terms of different types of resource, in terms of different sources, you know, get outside of your echo chamber, get anything and everything. Uh, You don't know when you're going to need it, anything that seems as if it's relevant to your topic area. And it's probably also to uh, be as open minded as possible. Like we were just saying there about when and how Mm -hmm. you're going to use something that's not an original creation of your own, but is, is you referring to somebody else think about everything being in service as it, as it usually is to the learning objectives and maybe finally around positioning things really well with the right kind of signposting for the people who are going to be consuming them so making sure it's really clear what they're going to get out of it and how and where it fits with everything else that's going on
1: yeah i th- i think that's actually critical isn't it mm. you, we, we can't just chuck stuff at people and hope that they'll use it so yeah that that's really really helpful thanks very much terry
0: Thank you. So on this show, I think we're planning to have one big main section, which we've just done on curation. I think we're also trying to try each week to have something smaller that we want to talk about. What, what what smaller item has kind of come to the top of your mind in recent times, Sheridan?
1: <laughs> well, you know how my brain is, Terry. My brain is a, is a scattergun sometimes. So It isn't strictly related to L and D, although it partially is. And in some ways, it does link into our topic of curation. And it's about do we overcomplicate things? (laughs) Just generally, but also as L and D providers. And the the reason that it came to mind is that my husband's car went in for its service yesterday. Hmm. And I'll tell you the tale, it'll only take three minutes. There's only the two of us. We live near St. Helens in the Northwest. He works in Liverpool and the car was being serviced in Warrington. So we're between the two, if you like. So um, he was able to get the morning off work. So he took the car into Warrington. I went to pick him up, came home. He took another car into work. That was fine. In order to collect the car, you have never seen such a complicated plan in your life (laughs) um, as to what was going to happen in his brain. Um, So it's like, right, well, I'll, I'll finish work at five and I'll come home and um, you can take me to pick up the car because they close at six. I'm like, right. And then, you know, we'll be able to come back. I said, yeah, but what about traffic? Oh yeah. didn't really think about that. And if we do that, how is Adam going to get to his badminton training, which starts at six in St. Helens? Oh, well, he might have to miss it. So well, that's not fair, is it? Tell you what, I'll I'll drive straight there. I'll pick up my keys. I'll park the car on the road. I'll come home and we can go in the evening and collect it. It's like, "Mm." but then I have to miss my Zumba class. (laughs) And I just just thought, do you know what? And I went, just stop, cease. I'll get a taxi. (laughs) I will get a taxi and pick up your car for you when it's done. That's the end of it. And it just made me think, you know, we were overlooking sometimes the simplest solution, Mm. which was just to get somebody else to take me <laughs> to pick up this car uh, and it just made me wonder in, in L&D do we sometimes overcomplicate things and it's about taking that step back I think particularly as learning designers because we serve lots of masters don't we <laughs> when, we're, mm. when we're designing training mm. I don't know how you find that, Terry, with the, the, all the various stakeholders. Mm. Obviously, you've got the end user, you've got their managers, you've got the people who have commissioned the piece. If you are working as an associate, if you're freelance, you've got the, the training company as well. There's a whole load of people involved that can complicate matters.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think there is. And I think <laughs> we sometimes complicate things by trying to do things a different way it's time or trying to find new ways to do something. And and I'm absolutely all about the new, you know, I love new shiny things, but uh, sometimes the classic, simple old way of doing it, getting the taxi um, (laughs) is is the way to do it.
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes as well, linking into the, and, and again, so I made me think it does link a little bit to curation. If we don't do it all ourselves, we somehow feel that we've cheated. And I think a lot of L&D managers feel that they, they have to do it all themselves, whereas if you curate a load of your, you know, your content or you, you get some specialist help in from an independent or, you know, you outsource part of it or you send people off to day release at college, there's a whole load of different ways that we can get what it is we want. And sometimes just trying to do everything ourselves just creates more problems than it solves. And I have I've seen too many people just get themselves absolutely, you know, meet themselves coming backwards. Because once you go down that route, of course you're kind of committed to it, aren't you? Whereas sometimes you just need an external pair of eyes to go, couldn't you just do it like this?
0: (laughs) And I think that is sometimes the key actually is to get somebody with a fresh pair of eyes to look at it. Yeah
1: yeah and and that's you know so just linking it back to training design and you know if you're lucky enough to be internal and have a load of colleagues you know or you know i'm sure everyone does anyway but just that that other opinion um before you start into the detail and then obviously at the end can make such a massive difference
0: Mm, yeah or you know get somebody who's completely unrelated to it somebody who doesn't know it but therefore doesn't have the same assumptions that you do
1: yeah even better so so that that was just my thought really and it's a, a little cautionary tale i suppose to l&d designers everywhere is um, are you overcomplicating things because uh, and like you said we don't we don't have to put every single thing into every single thing we design
0: mm.
1: yeah it, it's okay to sometimes keep things simple
0: good i think that's a great thought to end on so I think the main thing for us, left for us to do is just to say to everyone out there that uh, this has been our first episode of our new podcast and obviously we would love to hear how they found it and we'd love for them to have suggestions yeah. and thoughts about what would go on on future podcasts or questions that they'd like us to answer um, and to let them know how they can get in touch. We'd love some discussion on the podcast's Facebook page. So just search for the Training Design Podcast on Facebook and let us know there your thoughts on the podcast itself, on the topics we've been discussing or on anything else you think we'd like to hear about. Uh, also, if you want to connect with either or both of us individually, that'd be great. How can we get in touch with you, Sheridan?
1: Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I have an unusual name, Sheridan Webb, and I'm training designer, so I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. Or if you do a Facebook search for the Training Designers Club or just a Google search for the Training Designers Club, you will find me there and that's an online community for anyone involved in L&D.
0: That's great. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm Terry Pierce. I'm not the only Terry Pierce. Uh, there's in fact another trainer called Terry Pierce, but he's based in America. Uh, I'm the one based in the UK. Um, you can also find my organisation, 360 Learning Design at 360learningdesign.com or on Facebook at the 360 Learning Design page. So yeah, any of those uh, would be great to, to contact me on or, uh, or just email me on terry at 360learningdesign.com. I would love to hear from you.
1: Yeah, and please, please if, if, if you enjoyed it, please do share it. And if you haven't enjoyed it, don't, you don't need to tell anybody.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> but tell us and tell us why not. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Good so, so that, that's great. So we, we do intend to do um, a, a short season, don't, don't we, Terry? And then, uh, yeah, and so see how it goes after that.
0: Yeah, so tune in next time.
1: Okay, lovely. Thanks very much, Terry.
0: Cheers, Sharon.